I'm Jess Fisher, and this is the best paper I ever wrote. Okay, so today is February 22nd. We were going to record yesterday, but I threw up on Saturday night, so I decided to take a day off. And you were so accommodating um, to me, but I don't want you to feel bad for me for it. Like, you were so sweet. You were like, oh, like, take whatever time you need. <laughs> like, it's like, it's totally fine. And like, I didn't really communicate to you that the reason I threw up was because I had a shamrock shake. <laughs> um, so I don't want you to feel bad for me at all. Like, it's it's all me, you know? Honestly, um, though, worth it. Shamrock shakes are amazing. They're really good, but, like, I knew. You know what I mean? Like, I knew <laughs> when I got it. I was like, this is going to be a disaster for some part of my body. I'm not sure which of the two. And it was my mouth. Horrible. Um, and it was funny because John, my wonderful audio editor, was like, you're going to you're gonna yarts. And boy, was he right. Oh, he knew. He knew ahead of time. So while I was yartsing on Saturday, what did you do? Uh, on Saturday, I did a Great British Bake Off-themed baking night with my roommates and my friends, and we made a coffee hazelnut Swiss roll. I just think that's so wonderful. And it's so, like, it actually, like, in a good way, feels like quarantine season one vibes. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? We're hitting like, quarantine season one really late, but yeah, it's great. <laughs> sourdough plants uh, well oh I got too many plants like I've been on that one for a while you have a lot of plants we do it's so my one friend is obsessed with plants and her roommate has literally over a hundred <gasps> I have like four which is yeah. still a lot especially because you now, name them I don't name them I'd like I can't get the vibes well enough that I can't figure out what the names would be. <laughs> you're staring at the plant you're like what is your vibe tell me tell me who I you need are. to know your vibe tell me who you are but currently, um, I am trying to grow an indoor herb garden. Oh, my gosh. Which has been so fun. Cool. It's very stressful because I have, like, parsley and cilantro. Like, it's great. It's very stressful. Yeah, well, because they're, they're, like, teeny babies, so I can't do anything with them yet. Right. But they're super cute, and I like them, and I'm hoping I can end up using them one day. That would feel so rewarding. Would you feel like you're killing your babies, though, as you're ripping um, off the leaves? I haven't thought of that, and maybe I'll just have to hit that when I get there. But as of yeah. now, no. <laughs> Um, so I have known this guest for a very, very long time. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Caroline Buckley. I go by she, her, hers. I'm a second year at Tufts Veterinary School, and I just really like animals. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, Caroline was like, how do I, what is introducing myself? And that was so nail on the, like head on the nail, nail on the head. Oh, that was perfect. Um, how do we know each other? We, so... We basically went to elementary, middle, and high school together, and I feel yeah. like it wasn't really until middle school that we started getting together, and I know you and Ethan talked about the bubble on your podcast, oh, yeah. and I was never in the core bubble. I was in one of those outer edges of it. Auxiliary, auxiliary bubble. <laughs> but no, so we basically... had like other names. We had like outer bubble. Did you want to be in the bubble? I feel like I didn't know what the bubble was until like after the bubble was a thing. It was too late oh, wow. for me by the time I knew about it. No, but I feel like we also, like, had this perception of the bubble that we were, like, very well-known. Like, mm -hmm. we were like, oh, like, people know what the bubble is, whereas, like, nobody knew what the <laughs> bubble was. <laughs> I like, feel like oh, I yeah, always just wanted to be us. all of your friends, and I was just, like, never in the group, but I was just individually friends with everyone. That's so true. That's so odd. <laughs> I just never melded sad? totally, but no, I feel like... I'm just kind of, I was always in a lot of friend groups, like, and I never really That's had true. a core one. I feel like I was kind of just bopping around all the time, which is fine. And I like that. And I feel like I'm still the same way. Um, and it was just fun. I just kind of knew a lot of people. <laughs> would you like, what would you, as far as uh, stereotypical high school groups, would you define yourself in a specific group? Oh God, not really. I feel like if anything, it would theoretically be like the jocks. Cause I was on the track team and the field hockey right. team for a hot second, but I like, was it like my core friend group wasn't really anyone on the track no. team i was friends with everyone on the track team but my core friend group was not on it i also would not be like oh yeah caroline buckley is a jock like, I would <laughs> not, it doesn't work do i don't fit anything yeah. that's so funny <laughs> so i don't know where i'd be i feel like i was just kind of like vibing around with everyone just vibing around like your plants I exactly love <laughs> were we ever in a class together in elementary school oh geez i don't think so i had mccabe veris day Marzigliano, Boas Berry. 
note for all of those. Wow. So sad. Misconnection. I honestly, I was thinking too, and I was like, did Jess go to elementary school? Because I couldn't remember, like, go to Lincroft Elementary School. No, I skipped it. (laughs) (laughs) But I was trying to think, and I was like, did we go there together or not? Because I just didn't know you at all. I think we still went to like birthday parties and stuff together. I'm though. sure. Yeah. If only was, like, I could your best remember friend that at Lincroft. Oh, I feel man, that's it's really going back and that's bold. I feel like Elise Capelli I was pretty close with. Oh yeah. And I wish I could remember literally anything else about elementary school, but that's my max. Elise, yeah. <laughs> I think I was like probably Angelina. Oh my god, yeah. My oh, friend. she was always so nice. I loved Angelina. I know. So true. Angelina, if you're listening, <laughs> we, <laughs> we love, love you. <laughs> um, let's see. It was so sweet. Um, Caroline and I hadn't talked in years, not because of any sort of like falling out, um, but just because of like distance and how some of those friendships are. But it's like a thing where it's like I've never considered you not a friend of mine. Yeah, same. Like as the time has gone on. Um, but Caroline texted me after I made a Facebook post about my dog Nina dying. And offered me condolences and pet grief services, which I didn't know pet grief services existed. And they're such a good resource. Have you ever utilized those resources? I have not. So I haven't experienced a pet death since sixth grade where my first cat passed away. Mm. Um, So I haven't needed them. And I didn't know they were a thing really until I got to vet school and learned about them. Because here, and a lot of vet schools do have these there's pet loss grief hotlines and we can volunteer with them and it's it really is great and it's useful but for me I'm so emotional to begin with that I would just be (laughs) sobbing on the phone with everyone else so I don't think I'm made for that exactly but I think it's something that should be discussed more because we talk so much about human grief and obviously we give everyone the space to grieve for humans which makes total sense and I feel like people haven't fully understood that grieving for a pet is like the same caliber for a lot of people Mm. So I feel like sense to me. increasing the conversation around that and increasing the accessibility for grief hotlines is really a great idea for the future. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, like, you feel like you'd be like a blubbering mess, but like you're going to vet school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? Oh, um, I've cried with a few people during euthanasias before. <laughs> it's kind I've of cried. just, it's yeah. a thing that happens. And I feel like for a while I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm going to cry with everyone. I'm going to look like an idiot. And then talking to a lot of the vets I work with, they're like, there are some people I cry with because you meet these people, you meet their pets. If the pet has cancer, you treat it for years and eventually there is a point where the suffering's too much and you make the decision to euthanize, but you've had such a close relationship. It's like you're losing someone that you really know as well. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, it's kind of comforting to know that your vet cares so much that they're going to kind of cry with you and offer their condolences in any way. So I feel like and I don't want to say I'm going to get desensitized and not cry every time because that just sounds kind of scary because I don't think I want to get desensitized to stuff like that. Yeah. But I think also looking at euthanasia and knowing that we have such a great tool to give to our animals that when they're suffering and when it's really too much, we can offer them a really peaceful way out instead of having them suffer to the end. So it is. It's That's a really positive a way of looking at it. I like that. That's yeah. Nice. And, and I think it's because I've seen so many euthanasias now where it's like there's really no other option Mm. and it's sad and sometimes animals come in and I also work a bit in wildlife as well and when Mm. they come in there's no one really there for them other than us but we'll get like baby deer in and they haven't been with their mom in a few days and they're covered in ticks and it's kind of like this is the best option but it's sad that it's like their one interaction with humanity is that but we're giving them the best gift quote-unquote so yeah do you when when you're gonna go into the field? Are you trying to do more pet or wildlife? Oh, great question! I have no ideas right now. So. <laughs> oh, great question! Um, I do not know. <laughs> I've always really been into small animal exotics, so it's kind of like your cats, your dogs, your pocket pets, birds, all of that, and I love that pocket pets. Yeah, like your little guinea pigs and your hamsters. Oh, um, I like that. But before I came to Tufts, I did a few weeks over in South Africa on a cheetah conservation site. And I really like conservation medicine. And then Tufts is a wildlife clinic. And I really like wildlife. You did that in South Africa? Yeah. Wow. So it was was Care Wildlife Clinic, which I'm going to plug because I love them. And they're always asking Mm -hmm. for donations and stuff. They have a bunch of cheetahs, other wildlife. So we got to work with them. Absolutely amazing. Loved it. But so I was like, cool, this is something I could do. So all of first year, I was like, that's what I want to do. 
Second year, I take an endocrine class and I'm like, ooh, I like endocrine, I wanna do internal medicine. I'm taking a neuro class right now. I wanna do neuro, I'm taking cardio. It just keeps going. I wanna do every single oh, thing. that's really cool. <laughs> I mean, that's much more positive than like, wait, I don't wanna do this thing, Yeah, so at you least know? I know I'm in the right field. I just don't know where I wanna go yet. Yeah, so oh, that's I think so sick. It'll be fun to figure it out. And I still have basically a year, I guess just a year of classes and then it's a year and a half of clinics after that. So I have a while before I have to decide about internships and residencies, but mm-hmm. hopefully in this summer I can kind of specify myself a bit more, but we're just kind of going to go with the flow and see where I end up. You always wanted to do that, right? Like I remember yeah. in high school you being like, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, ever since I was three, I've been very much been a, I said what I want to do when I was three and I've never changed my mind. I That's cannot cool. and you've imagine never had like an existential crisis about it either. No, pretty sick, right? <laughs> wow, lucky you. I know. Yeah, because I was just like racking my brain. I was like, it's true. Like I, I have never heard you say you wanted to do anything else. And I had one interview at Kansas State. They were like, oh, what, like, what career would you be in if it wasn't vet med? And I was like, I have no idea. Because I've just never <laughs> considered anything else in my whole life. Do I, like, I have to give you an answer? <laughs> I feel like I would like want to be a wildlife photographer. Like I would still want to do animal stuff. And I feel mm. like doing Nat Geo stuff would be so cool if I could do that. Mm. But we'll see. Maybe if I like tie in my conservation medicine to photography, that would be pretty cool. That would be cool. That's so sick. And and when you studied abroad, was did you only ever go to South Africa? Or did you go anywhere else? So in undergrad, I studied abroad in Costa Rica for a month. Um, oh, Oh, yeah, the birds. Yeah. So when Jess asked me to send her paper, I was like, first off, I don't have that many papers. But second off, one of them is a biology research paper I did about birds in Costa Rica. So it was me and a few other students and two of our science professors. And we just traveled to different biological sites. For me specifically, we captured birds and measured like their wingspan, their weight, a few other characteristics. But there's also a bat group, an ant group, and a butterfly group. That's so, so cool. I ended up just kind of working with every group because, again, I just bop around to everyone to begin with. Um, yeah. But my main focus, focus was birds, and it was really cool, and I did love that too. And I do at some point want to make it back to Costa Rica, but, again, don't know how I'm going to do that either. <laughs> how um, how'd you catch the birds? So we set up – they're basically these gigantic nets, and they span, like, a few feet across, and they're, like, a few feet tall – and the birds would basically fly in, and then there's a little pocket in the bottom of each, and they would fall into the pocket. And so oh. they would get a little tangled, <laughs> so we would untangle them and then just hold them. And that was our birds. Oh. I got bit by many birds during this experience, but it was great. Had fun. You still liked them. So they have, like, it was really cute because, like, there would be teeny tiny hummingbirds, and they were great. And then we would catch, like, these big birds. And I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go untangle it. And then you just hear me, like, cursing from 10 feet away because I'm just getting bit <laughs> the whole time. But it was a lot of fun. Um, really quick, where did you grow up and where do you live now? So I grew up in Lincroft, New Jersey. Basically lived there my whole life. Um, currently, I am in North Grafton, Massachusetts. I don't know why you froze. I don't know, but you froze too. So now I think we're both back in. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that, John. You're going to have to cut that. Uh, you grew up in Lincroft, New Jersey. Yes. And I'm currently in North Grafton, Massachusetts. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize that we were so close to each other like so few weeks ago. I know. I would have. Well, I wish we like knew. I not that we could you. even do anything right now, but just to know yeah. that you were close. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, at that, I, I was completely quarantined with my cast, so I wasn't allowed to see anybody or talk oh. to anybody. But it, it would have been nice to just been like, oh, Caroline. Yeah, I could have been like, like, you should go like do a hike here or something. But that's really all that you can do around here right now. Yeah, absolutely. even though it's it's all snow covered, so if you don't have snowshoes, not worth it. I've been hiking a lot in Arizona. We don't have snow. <laughs> really. I have like a foot outside my house right now. No way. Really? Yeah. Because it just, it doesn't melt. It just keeps piling up. Wow. Except it's That's raining today, so shit. it should melt a little bit now. We had a giant leak in our house from like the icicles and everything the other day. So we're just kind of waiting for everything to melt so we can just let all the water come in and then we'll fix it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's been yeah, fun. I, I felt bad because I was talking to my mom on the phone and she lives in Colorado and I was like, oh, I'm going to go inside. I'm a little chilly. And she's like, oh, you're a little chilly. A little chilly. <laughs> oh, poor you. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm in Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did it, Okay, so you already talked about where you went to school. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you work right now? 
No, so I'm just a student. Yeah, I don't I really mean, have do time thing. for anything else. Um, when I'm home, like for breaks and stuff like that, I do work in a vet clinic in Tom's River. Um, I'm a oh. tech there, so I kind of just do the intakes. I help out with the procedures, watch the surgeries and all that. That's about it, though. Oh. It's mostly just focusing on not failing out of my classes. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't <laughs> imagine. Like, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm not in school right now, honestly, that I'm not having to study in front of a computer. Yeah, well, honestly, like, for me, I don't know what it is. I think it's because I live with a few other people. Like, being in home all day hasn't killed me with classes because mm. my roommate, Catherine, and I, we sit at the same table every day. So I'm always like, oh, I have, like, someone here studying with me. So I'm not totally alone. So that's kind of nice. But still, it would be nice to be more on campus. Yeah, yeah. We only um, go in for labs and stuff like that. And, like, today, Catherine and I actually went today and we did some sheep wrangling, which is pretty fun. That was a fun wrangling. afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> You literally so, wrangled sheep, like, yeah, with your arms. Yeah, so there's this thing called sheep tipping, uh, different from cow tipping. And basically, you just turn them over, and that's how you do exams, and you do procedures on them and stuff like that. And they just sit there, and they'll just sit back against your legs, and you just do whatever you need to do them. Oh, it's kind of like a hug. Kind of, except I'm really bad at it because, one, I'm very weak, and, two, I don't have a lot of sheep experience. So currently, my arms hurt a lot. Oh, but... yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Like... I don't I personally don't have a lot of sheep experience like I know that that's like a fault of mine um that's so funny that you did that today that yeah you wrangled sheep today what did I I went I had my digital marketing job at home um Incredible. I didn't do anything I'm here <laughs> do you have a favorite animal Oh, I feel like I was always dolphins growing up, and I would probably say the same yes. now. I mean, if you – even in my room right now, I have just one shelf on my desk, like, dedicated to all the dolphin things I've acquired I since I was a kid. That. It Yeah, it was bad. I don't know what made me a dolphin kid, but it's stuck. Mm. It's still there. I feel like dolphin kids are, like, adjacent to horse kids. <laughs> um, oh, no, I don't want to be a horse girl. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not a horse girl. I just said you're adjacent. That's okay. <laughs> they're great. Um, I, they're probably still my favorite animal. Nothing's so really cute. changed my mind there. Was um, Let's get into the paper. Okay. Let's do it up. Uh, what was the title of this paper? Oh, man. I should have pulled my paper up because I already forget. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. I got it. Oh, yeah. good. I know it's it somewhere was, in here. Um, defining the most abstract emotion, providing a rationale to, as to why humans feel love. What a great yeah. title. It was that so. Makes, that's cute. I will say, not great titles. But my friend introduced me to the whole idea of doing like two sentences for your titles. Mm-hmm. So it's like in the big letters, it's defining the most abstract emotion, and then small italicized is providing a rationale as to why humans feel love. Right, defining abstract emotion. Like that's that's funny. It's like a, um, what is it called, when it's like an impossible. You know, yeah, or it's uh like it's irony, I guess. Yeah, not really. I don't know. I've, I I kind of get what you're saying, but I also can't put it into better words. No, I actually I got up at at six this morning um to try to sign up for a COVID vaccine volunteer thing mm-hmm. where you you help people sign up for these things and yeah. then you get a COVID vaccine. And Jealous. so no, but I mean the website crashed and I oh, didn't get so I was just doing that for hours. So I'm sorry that I'm a little tired. Um, <laughs> What was I going to say? Okay, so what class was this essay for? So this is for a class titled What is Love? Um, it was a philosophy course, and this paper specifically was my final paper. So we basically spent the whole class just doing readings about different aspects of love. Some of it was scientific studies. Some of it was just novels. Um, and then the paper was just like, all right, tell me what love is. That's really cool that it was a philosophy class. Um, was it was it like a require like what part of your degree had you take a philosophy class? So it was kind of an English class kind of thing. Mm. Um, I wish I could remember which specific requirement it was because I will say I'm a very science person in case you mm-hmm. couldn't tell so far really tried to avoid the English side of everything so I think I had to take some like creative writing course of some sort and this fulfilled it for me. That's so, so interesting. And it ended up being your favorite paper. Yeah, honestly. It really was a cool class. And I feel like when I was trying to think of other papers, I had a bunch from some random English courses in my freshman year, but I just hadn't really tried in them because I didn't care about the classes. And this yeah. was like the one English paper that I actually dedicated a lot of time to and I actually really enjoyed. Well, it's also like 
it wasn't just English. Like, like you talk about theories of love and you talk about the biology of love too. So it makes sense as a STEM person that it's like, that's your way in. Yeah. Biology well, is thing. like your way in. I took the English class and I made it a scientific research paper. <laughs> so I really just turned everything on its head. <laughs> that's true. Um, so I, I really, uh, I really like your first paragraph about, um, like love is an emotion that many girls dream about. Like you're putting yourself into the paper, which I think is really, really cool. Um, they long for the day they were going to walk down the aisle to their soon-to-be husband. I was curious if you were engaged when you wrote that paragraph. <laughs> um, no, so <laughs> my fiancé Mitchell and I, we got engaged last year, February 2020. Um, so at the time oh I was paper, I know, it's been almost a year. How crazy is that? Wow. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so at the time of this paper, we've been dating for almost two years. Um, yeah. So not engaged, but we were together at this point. Right, so you're writing, you're daydreaming. And I'm like, ooh, I wonder who I'm writing about. (laughs) I wonder who I'm writing about. Maybe my boyfriend. (laughs) Um, I think it's uh, interesting that you mentioned children modeling their idea of love after their parents. That's one of the first things you mentioned, Um, which I think is is also interesting when it's like, uh, when it comes to children of divorce. Um, Just to dive right into there. Um, (laughs) Just because like I took a children of divorce class and then I was thinking about that because I was reading the paper and I was like, well, if I model my version of love after my parents, then like, what does that mean for me if they're divorced? Like, what the fuck, Caroline? Um, but then I remember that in class, they talk about the fact that if you're a child of divorce, you're likely to get a divorce, not because of the fact that you're shitty at relationships, but because of the fact that you model the idea of an out, of being able to have flexibility and have an out, which reminds me of like, the way you model um, your your type of love. So it's like, maybe it's just a more adaptable love. So I just, I, first off, I find that very interesting. Um, did you, do you think that you model your type of love after your parents' love? I think I do a bit. And I feel like kind of with the idea that you're modeling after your parents, because when you're a kid, your brain is just like this thing of Play-Doh and everything you experience is just like molding it straight in. So I feel mm. like, that's your first experience to what love looks like. Um, and I feel like my parents, I guess we're kind of similar. I'm very similar to my mom. Um, she's really outgoing, kind of a little bit louder than my dad is. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's kind of how me and Mitch are as well. Um, but at the same time, it's also important to know that you can also get new experiences as you grow. So even if your parents did not have the best sort of love. Um, you can see what your friends' parents are like. You can get in your own experiences and figure out what you like. So it's not like a death sentence. If yeah, it's parents. not like you're born with it. I like that you said it's not like a zodiac sign. Like yeah, the the way you model your love can also be based on the relationships that you experience. Like I'm thinking about like the relationships I've had. The way mm-hmm. that I love is different. Um, yeah, I think that's cool. Uh, let's see. So you studied because you studied animals in school. Um, in this class when you were looking at it were you looking at humans in an animalistic way is that how you look at humans sometimes in their behavior occasionally it's really hard because I feel like with animals specifically we really anthropomorphize them oh I just hit my microphone really hard Um, we anthropomorphize them a lot so we give them Mm -hmm. kind of human characteristics even if they're not showing If if you've ever watched like the dodo and their videos are like, oh, this dog like shows so much love after he's been saved from this and that. And like, it's cute, but animals aren't feeling the same way that we think they are. We just give hmm. them human emotions. So and we like, we like talk for our pets and things. Yeah, like that. exactly. Yeah, Which yeah. I 100% do. And I'm always talking to my cats. I'm like, oh, you're so handsome. Look at you, handsome man. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, um, but I definitely took this in a very biological way. And I think looking at some of the evolutionary papers I talked about, it's definitely more more animalistic because mm. I also there is one study in there about prairie voles so I definitely talked about animals right, as well. Right. so that's straight comparison about that. <laughs> so you're like I'm gonna talk about humans and I guess voles also <laughs> let's throw in my interest in here as well right <laughs> um when you fell in love because you start talking about um how love can make you your heart race you feel anxious you lose sleep when you when you fell in love did you feel those emotions I feel like I didn't feel anything characteristic like that. So backstory into how me and Mitch met. So we were both on the track team in undergrad. We had always kind of been in the same circle, just had never really interacted. And then one night the track team was hosting a party and we were there and we just ended up talking, kind of talking throughout the night. 
and there wasn't really anything in the moment, but then I like went back to my dorm at like 2 a.m. or whatever, and I texted my friend Liz, and I was like, I think I really like Mitch. So oh. maybe there was a little bit of lost sleep at 2 a.m., um, but there right. wasn't anything like in the moment where I was like, I'm so nervous, like my heart's racing. It was very calm, and I feel like I like that too. Have you experienced that though? When, when you've met somebody and you've been like, oh my God. Not oh, no. really, honestly. And I feel like mm. I would rather feel calm than feel yeah. anxious and stuff. And I feel like there's been some, like some Tumblr post or something going around that's like, you should feel <laughs> calm when you meet your soulmate, which like, it's all subjective for everyone, obviously. But right. for me, I would rather kind of feel comfortable and feel calm. And I feel like for me, Mitch, too, it kind of started off more as a friendship and evolved into a relationship versus just like jumping straight into, I don't really know you, but here's a relationship. Yeah, I remember like those types of things of like, this is how relationships are supposed to go. I find them really funny because I remember when I was like 17, I saw a Tumblr post that was like, um, like 60% of people meet the love of their life before they turn 18. And I was like, what? Gross. <laughs> I was like, oh no, oh my I'm going to die alone. I think back to who I was when I was like 16, 17, 18. And yeah. I'm like, I am so glad I am not the same Caroline anymore. I have changed so much. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's cool that that you talk about the fact that you can change the way that you love and the way that you look at love through your life, too, because of just just reflecting on that, of how we grow. And that also made me think about how our generation is, like, getting, like, um, like not as directive to, like, I must get married, I must have Mm -hmm. children, I must have the nuclear family, thinking about that they're a bit more careful um so i think that's like the way that you talk about love in this paper is a really interesting way and i like it yeah it's a bit Um, different and i like that yeah i it's it's a way that i've never heard of before so you go on to talk about david buss's theory of the evolutionary reasons people are attracted to certain mates for example women prefer mates of high social status because in the past those in power had access to the necessary resources such as food and shelter like in the past the social status would be size and build but nowadays it's money and resources right Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm thinking about the fact that women tend to find men in suits super hot. Um, (laughs) And there's probably something hardwired in our brain to be like, oh, money. Like, there's nothing necessarily about a suit. I mean, I I guess that that makes men look more, like, evolutionarily attractive. It's more clothes on their body. Like, (laughs) usually less clothes on the body is what's, like, going to make the pheromones run. But, like, seeing a man in a suit... I feel like there's just a quick association about money. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'm engaged to a software engineer, so I like I know he's providing for me, so I feel like I have that <laughs> sort of attraction there. But No, that's a good point cuz it's like I guess there I've seen a bunch of articles and stuff about like like nerdy is the new sexy. <laughs> and there could be something there could be something there in the brain that's like now like the nerdy uh like Silicon Valley like software engineer person mm-hmm. is the one that's like really raking it in so it's like i wonder if that's where like fashion or what is deemed attractive comes from of like what is making money at the time yeah I, don't know, and I feel think? like it ties into ambition as well because kind of as times have changed obviously yeah. we're no longer a time where it's just the man providing you have men and women both providing for each other so ambition is something that's really important and i feel like seeing someone who's nice dressed like that as well can kind of be like oh like obviously they're going for something they have something big in mind so I feel like that plays into it as well yeah I think it's funny that like either way you're still kind of even if you're not necessarily doing it intentionally it seems like your brain is still modeling your sexual escapades off of like a potential partner yeah so it's like um oh let me find that I really like when you talk about like why why people would choose to be monogamous or why people oh, would yeah. choose a partner that seems more stable because it seems like it would just be a reproductive need but um the well-being of the children works out better if the parents stick around right so yeah. it's like um you go on to talk about the fact that um attraction has been changing as it seems to include people who seem like they're going to stick around and not sleep around and not cheat as well. Yeah. Uh, can you speak on that part of the essay? 
Yeah, so it's something that I found really interesting, too, because when you just look at evolution, you would think in the man's head, like, this is, like, caveman, man I'm talking about. They just want to get as many babies as possible. So they have the ability to do that. They can go to anyone. But for each woman, she has to have the child. And then if there's no man around, theoretically, there's no one providing resources. And if he does stay around, he then has 300 children. He has to split all the resources, all the time, Mm. all the money between. So... For men that would sleep around, women were less likely to want to have children with him because they knew what would happen. So if they knew he was going to someone else, he was going to sleep with someone else instead, she knew she wasn't getting the resources and she's less likely to sleep with him. And that's kind of how it all evolves, which is really crazy to see how that came. Um, But it's so interesting, too, because who would have thought? Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. Um, Let's see. Do-do-do-do. Wait, I wanna I wanna know about like the brain stuff. Can you talk about the brain oh, stuff? There's a lot of brain I, stuff. Because I, I was reading it and I was like, this is cool, but like I'm just gonna have Caroline talk about <laughs> the brain stuff. So I will start by saying uh, I'm not an expert in neurology, so if anybody that is listening <laughs> More to than this, me. I apologize. I'm probably gonna say things wrong. Um, but so one thing I feel like everyone kind of understands is like the brain has many parts. You have the left side of the brain, which is supposed to be analytical, right side is creative. So what there was one big study I focused on where they used functional MRI to see what parts of the brain were activated when people were shown images of their partners. Um, so there's one big activation area called the right ventral tegmental area, and that's our brain's reward system. That then sends things to the caudate nucleus, which is where we get our goals, our reward expectation, and that leads to dopamine release. Dopamine is our little feel-good, happy hormone. We love dopamine. So basically, by (laughs) seeing a picture of your loved one, you get this reward. So you feel really great when you see them. So that's kind of explaining your typical feelings when you kind of start to fall in love because dopamine will cause things like excitement, energy, but then also lead you to not want to eat. So that's where you kind of feel like sick to your stomach when you're in love or you're staying up all night so you're an insomniac. So it's all dopamine. Dopamine really controls this. But it's also really interesting because dopamine and the ventral tegmental area are related to addiction um, because a whole lot of dopamine release can lead to addiction. So it changes over time where you first have this dopamine release and that's what kind of gets you into the relationship relationship and then over time as it becomes more serious there's a shift where it becomes more serotonin so in the beginning of the relationship dopamine's high serotonin is low and the low serotonin kind of makes you miss your partner um, so in the beginning it's where you're like oh i'm so like homesick for them i wish they were here but then as you kind of get along their serotonin starts to rise um, it leads you to like a less needy attachment so now you're a little bit more mature you trust them more you don't need to be around them and then years down the line dopamine also decreases and which might sound really bad because that's a reward hormone so you might think oh, that's the end of a relationship but there's actually another hormone that gets increased instead it's called corticotropin releasing hormone and i wrote all these down because i knew i wouldn't remember them um, <laughs> but so the corticotropin releasing hormone increases when couples are separated and that's what makes them miss each other and they want to be together so it's kind of the same idea as serotonin being low in the beginning And then in men specifically, vasopressin is released. And that's like the loyal and protective hormone. Hmm. Um, So it's a whole lot of hormones. And also another perivole plug, if you block vasopressin (laughs) in perivoles, they start cheating, which is abnormal because they're normally monogamous. Yeah. So that's kind of, it's a whole lot of hormone stuff. Um, But I kind of use that study to show that you can explain love to some extent by using biology and scientific means. You know, well, one that was fantastic. I, my <laughs> was jaw was like, like hanging. I was like, oh my God, that was, that was so, such a wonderful lesson. Um, two, when you talked about dopamine and how that's kind of where like addiction comes from and stuff, do you think that that's why, like, I, it just immediately made me think about those types of people who cannot stay in a long-term relationship and are always jumping to a new person or always cheating. Like, mm-hmm. could that be like an addiction to love? It could theoretically be, and obviously for every person, their hormones are different, they're getting released in different ways, so this is just a very general explanation of it. But I think it could be possible, um, and I also think it could probably lead you, if you don't have the serotonin increase in like, the more long-term relationships, then you keep feeling needy, and that can lead to almost an unhealthy, strong attachment to a person, mm-hmm. because you keep getting the dopamine, and the dopamine keeps giving you all these signs, and you're still missing them, and this and that, so... There's a lot of different things that can lead to people either not being able to continue out of like a long relationship or bopping around to new relationships. Right. Huh. Cool. <laughs> it's a lot. Right. Um, okay. 
What do we got? What do we got? That that made me think of of the the wheel. Let me see what the wheel. The is. color wheel. <laughs> it made me think of the color wheel because when you started talking about like bopping around from different partners, it made me think. Yeah, the color wheel of love. We, I guess. Who's yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. Um, made me think about um like ludus. I mm-hmm. guess. I think it's how it's pronounced. I'm not. I also pronounce a lot of things wrong, but I would say ludus, ludus, whatever works. <laughs> yeah, and that. So okay, could you explain to me the wheel? I can. So basically there was this kind of study done by Lee and he runs through these love styles. So there's three primary and then three secondary. So the three primary, the first one is Eros, which is like a passionate physical love. Um, There's Storge, which is friendly love. That's more friendship instead of like an immediate passion. And then there's Ludus, which is love is seen more of a game. And the secondary loves are thought to be a mix of all the primaries. So there's pragma, oh. which is thought to be a combo of storge and ludus. And that's like logical, practical. You really think ahead before you jump into a relationship. There's mania, which is eros plus ludus. And that's possessive, dependent. And then I think it's pronounced agape. Um, it's all giving, selfless. And that's eros plus storge together. So it's, it's a lot. Um, and this is something I think that can also play into people going to different relationships because Ludo specifically is seeing relationships as a game to play. They want to get into as many as they can. They want as many hookups as possible. And if you have someone who is an Eros, which is a passionate physical love, or even someone who's in pragma that's really logical about it, those two people would have a hard time being committed to each other because they're so opposite. They have two Mm -hmm. very different goals when it comes to relationships. Um, and it would be difficult. But at the same time, Lee does talk about the fact that you need a little bit of conflict in your relationships just to keep it exciting. Um, so you don't really want to put two euros together because that would just be boring. They both have the exact same wants. They have the same drive. Um, so theoretically, it's more fun to have two different people involved. Um, but it also depends on how strongly people relate to each one. Yeah, I, I like that you said that, that you have to have like compatible ones. So I'm thinking about like maybe eros and like agape could work yeah or even Maybe eros and pragma pragma and storge or yeah storge. i feel like ludus and mania are the two that are kind of a bit harder to match up um mm-hmm. just because those are very a lot of people don't want people that are just playing around um and for some people really close attachment isn't what they're looking for so i feel like those are just a bit stronger terms um that might make it a little more difficult to match those up yeah yeah i think it was it's cool to categorize this way because it reminded me of the love languages yeah i wanted to talk about those too oh yeah go ahead talk about the love languages well so i didn't i didn't mention them in my paper i don't know if it's because i they just weren't involved in anything i was reading um but i do think all of this relates to the love languages so for those of you who don't know there's five love languages um there's physical touch quality time receiving gifts acts of service and words of affirmation and me and Mitch are very opposite. So I'm oh, quality really? time and Mitch is physical touch. Um, so it's been very hard to be many hours apart from each other yeah. because immediately that's his main love language is physical. And for me with quality time, I can be like, oh, let's FaceTime and play Stardew Valley for six hours. And that's great. That's all I need and I'm happy. So it's a bit harder with him and for us to get the physical side around and everything. But I do think once you start to understand the love languages, it's a lot easier to get the relationships kind of all together and figure out what each person needs. Oh, yeah. What I thought was cool, too, is at the end of your paper, you were like, breaking it down in this very technical and biological way may seem like it's taking like the like enchantedness or, or the romance out of romance. But I like I like that you do so because you, you go on to say that it's really important Um because of like you know high divorce rates and stuff how do we make relationships sustainable how do we make love sustainable the biological need for partnership makes sense yeah um so how how do we make the best world for like if you're having the potential of children but also for yourself yeah um long-term relationships are really hard they're really really difficult um but um yeah i think i think i agree with you having tools to communicate your needs and your partner's needs and how they're different can make them sustainable yeah um, yeah it's funny that you talked about uh ambition because like my ex would always say like he can't be with anybody who doesn't have ambition we didn't yeah. work out but like we were together for a long time mm-hmm. um yeah and I, I feel similar I've I've said it before that like I can't be with anybody without ambition because I'm like yeah 
it yeah it just doesn't it doesn't align so and I feel yeah, like when I, you have your own ambitions too it's like I don't want to be with someone that doesn't because I have my own drives I want to be with someone that has their own drives as well like continuously trying to get better at something so I feel like that's just also just a part of who we are as a whole yeah yeah I was thinking about like I was trying to figure out like which one I am and I think it's like changed like, I could think I have been mania at times I think mm-hmm. I have been eros which is like passionate erotic love i think i have like at times i've been agape but it's like do you think it has to be like a solid thing that you are i don't think so i think kind of going back to what we talked about a little bit earlier i feel like you can change over time as you get new experiences and i think i like think back to high school i had no serious long-term relationships like my longest one was like two and a half months or something which is not a lot of time. That's a very short Wait, period of you, time. I don't even remember you dating in high school. Uh, I feel like I dated a lot of people that didn't go to South. So it was kind of like I was never involved with people in our high school. <laughs> I don't know if I met anybody you dated in high school. Oh, I don't know. Well, because I feel like, not that I wouldn't bring them anywhere, but it was kind of like, it was always <laughs> different friend groups that I had met these people between and it was never through the friend group we were in. So it was kind of like they wouldn't be around who we normally were around. It was always different people. Uh, But they didn't, I mean, obviously they didn't really last very long. So in the end, it's for the best. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you didn't know But what were you saying before I interrupted that? It was something about the love stuff and and that. Thinking back to high school, like the fact that all of my relationships were so so short for a while, I was like, man, like maybe I'm just never going to have a long relationship. And I mean, I was 16. It doesn't matter anyway at that point. Um... But just only having those experiences, I was like, what's going to happen if, like, I can't have a long-term relationship? And I feel like it took a lot of learning Mm. how I express love and then once I met Mitch, how he expressed love to really understand how to make a relationship last. Because for me, I have my own mindset of what I need from a relationship. And if he hadn't explained to me kind of what he needed, I would have just kept giving what I needed and that's not what he wants. Right. He'll accept yeah. it. He's not mad about it. But there's another aspect that he needs to really feel fulfilled in a relationship. And it was just something I had never experienced until I met him. That's so interesting. And like you have to be adaptable. Like with with the long term, it really it really comes with communication and the long run. I you know, I'm thinking about pragma, the practical, it says yeah. business like type of love. <laughs> and it feels very unromantic. Um, it says like, you know, um, like expects reciprocation believes that Mm -hmm. sexual compatibility can be worked out maybe it kind of makes me think of like yeah it makes me think of long-term relationships it also makes me think of like parents yeah who who are together for the long run it's it but i think i think practical love is cool i'm not saying that that's y'all's kind of love but when you're talking about um being adaptable and and knowing that the thing that you want is the relationship and so mm-hmm. you're going to work together and f- figure out the tools to get there rather yeah. than be driven by the anxiety the mania the staying up at night the up and downs because there's a lot of people i know who thrive in like the up and down relationships don't yeah. thrive but like all of their relationships are the up and down mm-hmm. and and like they it doesn't usually work out in the long run um so yeah, I think categorizing and like not being ashamed of having like a business like relationship to relationships it shouldn't shouldn't be something to be ashamed of. Great sentence. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like that you talk about your relationship to Mitch in that way. Cause, yeah, because I mean I've been single for a year and a half now, so I don't really know what my relationship to love is going to be, especially now that the the lockdown has changed it. Oh my god, I can't even imagine, honestly. Like, if I had to try to look for a relationship right now, I don't know what I would do. Yeah, dude, it's rough. <laughs> <laughs> like, like trying to a date dating right app for over five years. Like, no, I'm good. I don't even want to imagine downloading Tinder. Like, <laughs> Yeah, dude, it's not fun. Like, it's, like, so easy to just be like, I just don't want to risk covid right now so i'm just gonna no, not yeah. meet anybody I mean, great excuse honestly be like i'm just trying to keep my bubble small like i'm good right and so that means like the people that you have to choose to go on dates with it's like it has to be very selective oh yeah so the vetting process because like it's like pre-covid when i was like in new york from like january to february i was just like dating out the wazoo i was just dating mm-hmm. dating 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 because i could i could just be like oh i have nothing new tonight let me just find somebody to date yeah now it's like you could get covid so I, I don't really, want to do really that. Be careful. <laughs> right. 
you really have to be careful. You really have to choose the people. And it's they're doing the same thing to you. So it's really rare to get a yeah. date. I'm just complaining about it now. But it's also like it's um, so hard to do Zoom dates and stuff. Like you don't want to just oh sit on God. Zoom and talk to people over webcam. Yeah, because the in-person is, is really important. Like, and it's, you know, the funny thing is about, like, for example, Eros, like, the passion and, like, the the uh, attraction is very important. A lot of people undervalue that. Like, if, mm-hmm. if they're, I've had friends who have been like, I'm not attracted to my person anymore. Like, it's like, that's also important. Your attraction yeah. is very important. Um, So it's like, over Zoom... You can't really get that vibe. You can't, like, get those chemicals. No, because it's also, it's a grainy <laughs> webcam. You can't even see the person that well. Like, you have no idea. So, it's an, it's really yep. interesting kind of to see how everything has been playing out with COVID and relationships. Yeah, it's been making me think about, like, how couples are in lockdown and what couples have been thriving in lockdown and what has caused them to break up. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, you started dating a person and then, like, lockdown happened and you were forced to live with them? Well, I was, um, I was living with my ex. Oh, oh yeah. I remember you would tweet about it. (laughs) I'm like, I can imagine a little bit. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it makes, it makes me think about like, if COVID has made relationships like accelerate to seriousness, I've Mm -hmm. heard that from some people or if it has made you break up because it's like, oh, suddenly we have to be domestic because COVID has made me like emotionally age a lot oh like i don't want to like go out anymore it's like i want to have a glass of wine and watch freaky friday you know what i mean the best i mean i've always wanted to do that too but now i really want to do that like every friday so right it's like i feel like i'm like 28 now do you feel that way too i honestly just feel like i've lost all concepts of time so i don't even know how old i am anymore (laughs) um but in a way yeah i feel like it's just like time feels like it's both nonstop moving and also that it hasn't moved in a year and a half. Yeah. So I yeah. have no idea like where I am, like emotional maturity, all that kind of stuff. I'm just kind of floating along. But yeah, it's fun. I mean, Catherine and I watch 90 Day Fiance like three times a week. That's our like go to. Yeah. It's a Saturday night. We're like, all right, turn on the episode. Like that's all we do. <laughs> yeah, I like I saw a tweet today and I so connected to it that it was like I just conceptualized being in a crowded bar post COVID and I thought that I would like it but I don't think I like it like I even when it's safe like I don't know if that's my world anymore <laughs> I don't know if that's my honestly I'm like once I don't know when things are going to be safe anymore I don't even know when I'm going to be allowed to get the vaccine but once things are safe I can't wait to go to a bar and just like literally just order like a rum and coke the most simple thing in the world I just like I just miss it I always thought it was fun um and I feel like I didn't realize how much fun I had until now where I'm like I'm just sitting in my house and I just have random vodka and soda like this isn't the best yeah my time hop like because I was yeah like I said January and February of last year was a like a very like fun Jess two months of my life (laughs) um and looking at my time hop I'm like oh my god I was just like out like kissing strangers no masks no masks what a concept (laughs) god it's crazy to think about it but I mean COVID rates are going down so we can think about it's good maybe I was hoping that eventually I can get the vaccine and that would be great yeah right another weight off my shoulders but who knows at this point because everyone hates vets apparently which is great oh really i didn't think that you would be low on the list and at the very least in massachusetts we are so kindly placed into phase three which is the general population no Um, even though we've been forced to stay open the whole time and see people every single day in, so in this is just me complaining, but in different categories. So the CDC recommended us be placed in like one B, which is very high, and I think Jersey had us kind of high up there. But I'm not in Jersey currently, so it doesn't matter. I can't really travel back there easily at the moment. Um, so I was kind of hoping, you know, I would be able to get it while I was up here, and it would kind of just all come together. But no, uh, we might be lucky and get it in April, but I don't know. And then also, I'd be moving back home for the summer so that would kind of be an not ideal time to- timeline for me yeah well damn so we'll see. <laughs> and I there is they have been saying like sorry what were you saying 
No, no, no. I was just going to say, I don't really have like necessarily a reason. I work from home. I just want to get it. <laughs> like, I know that there no, are absolutely. Uh, people that need it more than I do, but that makes sense. Like you, you're working in person, you're working with people, you're working with animals, but what were you going to say? Yeah. And then there are, there's like the COVID vaccine clinics around here where you can volunteer, but they don't guarantee that you get the vaccine if you volunteer there. And I was like, I'm not going to sit there for six hours and expose myself to like 200 yeah, plus I guess that's people the other thing. Yeah. and not be given the vaccine. Yeah. And maybe that's selfish. Yeah. Maybe it is. But at the same time, I have some immunocompromising conditions going on. I would rather not risk getting COVID. Like my sister has asthma, all of those kind of things. I'm not going to yeah. risk bringing it to someone. Yeah, I mean, they should pay you for that. Like, <laughs> if, oh if God, you're going to yeah. do it and not get a vaccine, like, at least give me some sort of compensation. Right. Give me totally. money for the hospital treatment if I need it. Like, come on. Right. Well, yeah, they're not going to do that. <laughs> they're definitely not going to do that. Oh, no. This is America. Um, let me think if there's if there's anything else about the love essay that you wanted to touch on before we uh, wrap up. I feel like this is really everything. It's really it was so interesting to do this because kind of like we talked about before, love is seen as like so abstract. There's no way mm-hmm. to explain it. It's magical. And I like being able to take something that we thought we could never define and like put certain terms to it and be like, hey, this is actually what it is. And I don't think it loses its magic through that because there are still a lot of parts of it that we can't explain. And it's the same with basically everything because hormones are different for everyone. It's going to react in different ways. And obviously because we all show different love patterns, love styles, and languages, there's still some magical element that makes it really unique to each person. So I hope I didn't like disenchant it for anyone because love is still a magical thing and it's a beautiful experience. But I also just like the idea that like if – you're having trouble with love and relationships, there can be a reason behind it. And this can give you the opportunity to understand it better. Yeah, for me, I mean, I've been very afraid of love lately. I've been very afraid to approach it. And this actually, in a way, demystified it in a positive way, like Mm -hmm. making me feel like it's more approachable, making me understand it a little bit better. So I appreciated reading it and talking to you about it. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, do you have, um, anything to plug before we go? Oh, I don't have, again, I'm just kind of a student. I don't do, I do a photography Instagram, um, yeah. underscore photography. So you could hit that up if you like pictures of animals. I take a whole lot of them. I think that's great. Yeah. Check it out. Best Paper Pod is supported by Hickory Playground, which was founded by Dylan Tashton, Robert Fuller, and Jordan Maycant. Our audio editor is John Morgenstern. Our cover art is made by Morgan Honeycutt, and our jingle was made by Lucky Saruti. I also want to give a big special thanks to Patrick Yeboah and Simone Elhart. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got a paper you think would be great for the show, submit it at hickoryplayground.org slash bestpaper. I can't wait to read it.